YouTube boxing family. It is I, K Rod here. I'm back with another good post fight live stream for you guys. Uh, shout out to everybody that uh, that that is coming through, you know, in the building. And uh, yeah, salute to the you know mighty you know LDBC and TWT. All right, so yeah, let's get right into it, man. Uh, we had three amazing fight cards this past weekend. Uh, some very, very good matchups in which I'm not really going to talk too much about. But uh, let's start off with uh, congratulating Mr. Alexander Usyk defeating Anthony Joshua for the second time of his career um, of becoming the, you know, the like the uh, retained, uh, newly crowned, well, you know, um, basically uh, the retained you know, unified uh, heavyweight champion of the world for the, the WBA, IBF, and WBO belts and ring magazine. Uh, yeah, Alexander Usyk defeated Anthony Joshua fair and square. Uh, the fight was a very, very tough, tough nip and tuck fight. But Anthony Joshua, he did not secure his, uh, his goal of becoming, you know, a three-time heavyweight world champion, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But... Yeah, Anthony Joshua, he had a good run. It was a decent fight while while it lasted, but Anthony Joshua did not make any proper adjustments to try to win the fight. Uh, he made the fight a lot harder than for what it had to be, but um, I think it was just due to him being, you know, psychologically confused with Usyk's fighting style. And Usyk, he was already outreading Anthony Joshua with anything that, he did to him and Anthony Joshua being the bigger, taller, heavier fighter than Usyk. Um, he didn't use any of his pressure uh, to the body in which um, I think Alexander Usyk, um, he should have been more vulnerable to the body because we have seen Usyk get dropped to body shots in the past. And I think that's Usyk's biggest flaw. Uh, once he gets broken down stairs leading upstairs, I think that I think that's what the blueprint of defeating a guy like Alexander Usyk. That's not to say Usyk's chin is like you know super duper god tier. Um, Usyk, he has plenty of flaws with his defense and not really moving his head as much once he gets into the later rounds. But 
I can easily see Alexander Usyk putting himself in a much worse position when he goes up there with a, the top top high level heavyweights, you know, like a Deontay Wilder. And I mean, if you want to throw in Tyson Fury, yeah, but I don't really care because I, you know, I believe Fury's like you know, I believe Fury's a cheater, but you know, he'll most likely do that against a guy like you know Alexander Usyk, but. If Fury, if he's like coming into the fight clean from a stylistic perspective, yes, I do believe, you know, Usyk would probably lose pretty bad to Tyson Fury because uh, Tyson Fury is not going to allow a guy like Usyk to just get get off into his um, rhythm and just do the things that he wanted to do. So, I mean, that's just pretty much how I see it. Uh, I think Alexander Usyk, he came into this fight very, very calm and collected, but he didn't have his best performance because, you know, he's been out the ring since that whole following last year, which he literally took a fucking year off, which I don't I don't like how Usyk does that. Um, Usyk should not be doing that type of stuff, you know, especially knowing that he's coming to the tail end of his career. But if I'm Alexander Usyk, um, I should go ahead and actually keep myself active as much like like as much as possible um for anthony joshua's case um i don't know what else could really be next for him knowing that he made a really dumb decision to sign with eddie hearn for life i don't know how eddie hearn is going to manage his career now because it now makes me think that uh anthony joshua he's like you know he's in a much terrible you know like much terrible position and uh, it, it, it really showed a lot of flaws of how much of a fighter he really isn't, you know, anymore. And it's not to say Anthony Joshua can't, you know, return back to the ring to get, you know, more extra paydays. But at the end of the day, like, if you're like, you know, like, if Anthony Joshua wants to claim like heavyweight supremacy, I don't see that happening, you know, at all. I mean, yes, he's 32 years old. He probably has like a good four to six years left in him, but I don't, I don't see Anthony Joshua staying in boxing forever. Um, I think his last few couple fights that he could do to max himself out, um, I would just go after Deontay Wilder. I think Deontay Wilder is his best option if he wants to put himself up there in title contention. Or just to make himself more notable in the division where he could become a top three or top two heavyweight. I just don't see him beating Usyk at all, even if you want to run it back to a third fight. Um, I think, you know, even though that, you know, if Anthony Joshua, if he wants to have that same goal as Deontay Wilder does, which is to unify the heavyweight division and make the heavyweight division undisputed, in which, uh, you know, the last undisputed heavyweight champion of the world was um oh man i forgot i think it was riddick bow or lennox um lewis yeah uh i think i think it was lennox you know lewis because that was during the three belt era so i mean the heavyweight division has has not seen a four has not seen a four belt era champion so i don't i don't really see the need of wanting to see Usyk and fury uh, I don't see that happening um, as much as I like to criticize Alexander Usyk's comments of what he said, saying like, oh, well, you know, if I'm not fighting Tyson Fury, then I'm not fighting at all. 
Well, the problem with that is Deontay Wilder, he's going to come right into the mix very quickly. And if Deontay Wilder, if he gets a WBC title and Deontay Wilder is like, you know, he's in that same position to fight Usyk for undisputed and Usyk says, oh, well, you know, he's not Tyson Fury, but, you know, Deontay Wilder, what has he done for the division? Blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like Usyk, Usyk, honestly, you know, he should say that, you know, to say that he wants to be undisputed, but don't be acting like a diva trying to say like, oh, well, if Tyson Fury ain't going to fight me or if I can't get that fight, then like, you know, then I'm not going to fight, you know, at all. It's like, nah, dude, like Tyson Fury, like from this political standpoint, I don't, I don't see him coming back to boxing. I think Deontay Wilder, he's going to take over, you know, the heavyweight division pretty quick because now that Anthony Joshua, he's out of the picture. There's really nobody else left here on uh, BoxRec that I see right now. I don't I don't see any other heavyweight coming up to make any improvements in their fighting fighting style to actually beat, um, you know, anybody in, in the heavyweight division like a Deontay Wilder or Alexander Usyk. I think Tyson Fury would be like the last person on here that would do what he should be doing. But I don't, I don't see him coming back. I think, I think everything that he's dealing, dealing with from the outside situations leading on, uh, that's a uh, game over for him. But uh, yeah, Deontay Wilder, he should be coming back into the mix very soon. He's going to be fighting up against Robert, Robert Hellenius for the, uh, for the WBC title eliminator. For those of you that don't know. So I believe the winner of that fight will just automatically be mandated to fight for the WBC vacancy. So if uh, Deontay Wilder does get that WBC title by any means of becoming a champion through the title vacancy or defeating Tyson Fury theoretically in a four fight, uh, I think I think that's probably what's going to happen. I don't I don't see what Deontay Wilder could could like you know could ever do. I mean he could go through any other you know different sanction body, but I think I think through the WBC. That's probably let the like you know, that's probably let the only easiest route for him to just be back on track and then he could just go go ahead and beat Usyk. Cause it's like, yeah, you know, like you know, like even if you went through the through the WBO or WBA or IBF, I think I think the political structure would try to hold him down. And I think Deontay Walter, he would just have to go through more hoops and loops just to get a title shot, but I don't I don't think that would be too much of a problem because you know he could go ahead and like fight a guy like Daniel Dubois, knock him out, and then go after any of anybody else in the IBF or WBA or WBO. So it's not like he can't do that. It's just that, you know, um if you're gonna weigh out the options, you know, you rather just take one fight that could put you right back in into like you know into position. So that makes a lot more sense for Deontay Wilder just to go back through the WBC, even though the WBC, they're evil and corrupt themselves. But still, uh, Deontay Wilder still has his traction, you know, as a fighter to just get right back, you know, into the mix because he is like he is, you know, the money man out of that division. So I think I think Deontay, he's going to be taken over pretty soon. And it's going to be interesting to see how much improvements he's made from the Tyson Fury fight, um, especially from the third fight. Uh, you know, it's literally been over like a year heading back to this fight. 
with Robert Hellenius. So, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how Deontay Walter is going to shake up the heavyweight division. But I definitely favored Deontay Walter knocking out Robert Hellenius. Uh, I don't see Robert Hellenius really proposing that much of a problem to Deontay Walter, even though that both of them do know each other and they have uh, they have sparred you know together. But Deontay Walter, he's a way more dangerous heavyweight in terms of understanding you know the levels of a fighter that knows how he fights and you know when he understands how you fight then i think i think deontay water you know he's gonna do what he does best to figure out robert hellenius early game and then late game i think i think he's probably gonna stop him but um it's gonna be a good challenging you know measuring stick test because i think robert hellenius he has more pressure on him versus deontay water he's coming into that fight very relaxed and He's gonna, like you know, he's gonna take this fight very, very seriously to the point where his skill sets are gonna start, ex- like you know, um, expanding more. <laughs> you know, like you know, from the fact that he's working a lot more with uh, Malik Scott, and they're definitely expanding on what, like you know, what holes that he needs to improve on in his game. But I think, I think Deontay Walter, he's gonna, like you know, he's gonna be looking a lot more sharper than for what people would not, you know, expect from him. But yeah, let's move forward with uh, the rest of the card. Uh, uh, congratulations to Usyk defeating Joshua. Uh, that was a good performance. I did not agree with the split decision. I didn't think the fight was that close. I thought the fight itself could have been a majority decision or unanimous. I thought arguably Usyk won seven rounds, five or eight rounds, you know, to four. But that was pretty much it. I didn't really give Joshua any more rounds, you know, over that like in a limitation of how I scored the fight. But let's move forward with the co-main event and two other fights that I'm going to skim through. And then I'll probably give a little bit of a criticism shout out to Rama Ali defeating Crystal Nova. Um, I don't, I don't really have anything bad to say about Rama. I think she's an amazing fighter. Uh, Shout out to all the Somalian fighters out there, but shout out to Rama. She, uh, she's a very good fighter, but, uh, you know, I have some major criticism towards Crystal Nova Garcia. Um, I did not like her performance. I don't. I don't know what happened with this fight. She uh, really made this fight look like she didn't improve at all. And from her last fight, you know, for those of you that didn't know, she she was fighting for like a vacant 122 pound IBF title, and uh, she lost by retiring in the corner. In the fifth round against a Taiwanese fighter by Firne Nesteri, uh, she's a decent fighter. I don't, I don't think she's really going that far. Uh, she definitely has a lot of limitations in terms of her, you know, ability to box. But you know, she's a good fighter. She, she's now the crowned IBF 122 pound champion. But heading into this fight with Rama, I did not like the fact that she got hit with a good shot right to the chin where her mouthpiece, you know, got taken off her mouth. And then, like, I guess she got hit with, like, a body shot. I think I think it was a body shot or just a shot to the chin where she didn't really recover properly, but I think it was due to the body. But if you look back at that fight, she acted like she couldn't do any more than for what she could have done, and she just gave up. I think I think it was just a psychological battle for her to just give up in that fight 
and she was like, all right, well, screw it. You know, I'll just come back and I'll just do it, you know, once again. And, you know, uh, my thing is, is that, you know, especially with some of these female fighters that are young, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to shame on all of them. But for those of you that quit at the level of what you did previously at a world title level leading into a non-title contention bout, that just shows to me that you're not disciplined or you don't put yourself in a position to make adjustments when you are in deep waters or in a deep situation. Because now it shows to me that you were never really built for the high level and you're not as hungry as you once were. So I think, I think this is a really bad performance by Crystal and, uh, I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to shame on her because, you know, I don't I don't do that to a lot of fighters unless I don't like them personally. But I don't like to see these type of performances, especially on a big card like that, because that really showed to me that you really were just coming in for like a paycheck or there was something behind closed doors where either it could have been a dive or it, it, it probably just could have been like, you know, the fighter just didn't care. So. I don't know what to really say on that. Um, I really hope Crystal, she can go back to the lab and just keep improving on whatever she needs to fix on. But I don't, you know, I don't want to see that type of performance anymore because uh, I, I, I had the same issue when I saw Sky Nicholson fight against uh, some other lady named, uh, I forgot what her name is, uh, Shanequa Davis, right? Yeah. That lady is not that good, and she she was saying that oh well you know I'm gonna do this this and that to her, but but then it's like 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 uh like uh, once she got into the ring and she started fighting like she started fighting like absolute dog shit, and I don't I don't like seeing those type of performances. It's like you know you pay these girls to come out and, and perform like that against like the quote unquote hyped up you know high level amateur female fighters. It's like I don't I don't really like that shit and. You know, stuff like that needs to be taken taken out of the sport. If you're not good, you're not good. You like, you know, you got to go back to the go back to the drawing board, get better with your skills, and like fight, fighters like that need to be taken out of cards like that. Because you know, imagine if Crystal, if she didn't have that much fights in her, and then she started fighting a, like you know a girl like Rama, just to get stopped like that. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that damages a fighter's career. And similar to that of the Jeanette Zacharia Zapata's fight, where she fight, she fought that Canadian lady. I think her name was Mary Piohole. But you know, fights like that is a prime example of you know you don't move a fighter a certain way to, for them to get stopped. You have to build them up correctly. And I don't know if that's due to her not not knowing that she got to work on her skills more. She doesn't have any defense, or she doesn't have any ring IQ, or her team is just that stupid to the point where. They allowed her to get beat up for the sake of her to quit, you know, on a big stage like that. So that's pretty much it of like what I have to say about that. Uh, congratulations to Rama Ali. I don't I don't have anything bad to say about Crystal. I hope Crystal can return, you know, back, you know, in a healthy state of mind. And hopefully we get to see her, you know, in a new and more um, improved version of her. But. Yeah, that's pretty much it with that. Uh, let's talk about the other two fights or the other, yeah, the other three fights. Uh, um, I'm going to talk about Bado Jack versus uh, Richard Rivera. 
This was at 175, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I could have sworn Richard Rivera, he was a cruiserweight because I don't believe Richard was ever a light heavyweight, but it said that this fight was scheduled for the light heavyweight division. So uh, either way, a decent performance by Richard, you know, Rivera. Um, I thought Richard did enough to win, but I can understand why Bado Jack got a gifted decision because I wasn't really expecting Bado Jack to really do the things that he was supposed to do because Richard, he's a very crafty fighter. He's very long, very lanky. Uh, he has certain things in his um, tool bag that makes himself a very, uh, you know, a very special fighter. And, uh, yeah, he definitely did what he had to do. Oh, correction. This fight was at cruiser rate. Um, I just uh, checked, you know, on uh, Richard's box rec. But, yeah, this fight was at cruiser rate. It was for 10 rounds. And, uh, yeah, that was, pretty, uh, that was pretty much it for that one. But, yeah, Richard, um, you know, he's a very, very good fighter. Uh, you know, he was undefeated coming into this fight. Um, he just recently had, like, three back-to-back TKO victories um, up against some decent opposition, not the best opposition, but uh, Richard definitely did what he had to do. The only thing that I have a problem with was just that uh, he wasn't throwing enough and, and he allowed himself to gas out, you know, up against uh, Bado Jack. Um, I wasn't really surprised with Bado Jack's, you know, performance. Um, I don't think Bado Jack is getting any better. Um, I think Bado Jack is really not as good as he once was. And I mean, credit to him being a good fighter back in his day at like super middleweight and light heavyweight, but at cruiserweight, I don't, I don't see him doing that much damage. I don't, I don't think he's really going to be doing anything good in the, uh, like, you know, um, in the, uh, division. And, uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, Richard, you know, he should have done more in this fight to secure, like, you know, to, to, to secure the victory. But I think, I think Richard, you know, he's going to, you know, come back a lot stronger and I could very well see him, you know, win a title because, you know, he's not that bad of a fighter. He just needs to work on his stamina and work on his defense, but a uh, good performance by Richard. He definitely made himself a lot bigger, you know, as a name coming into the cruiserweight division. So, Hopefully we get to see him beat up on guys like, you know, Unio, Doherty Coast, you know, Kristoff, you know, like, you know, Glowacki, you know, all these, you know, European fighters that I'm not really too high on. But I think I think that's pretty much it for this. Uh, that was a good fight. And also let's talk about Caleb Smith versus Matthew Baderleek. Uh This is a very good fight. Uh, I didn't really think Caleb Smith had his best outing. But he got the job done. He knocked out Matthew Badalik. Um, he was a uh, twenty-one and one fighter coming into this fight. Uh, he had no draws on his record. Um, yeah, Caleb Smith knocked him out. Uh, he stopped him, and it was a good fight. Uh, I didn't really think Caleb Smith had, you know, all the best answers for Badalik's, you know, pressure but he managed to hurt him with some good heavy-loaded shots. And, uh, you know, um, he did what he had to do. 
Uh, hey, how's it going, Mike Biggs? Uh, salute to you. Thank you for coming by. Um, wait, hold on. I'll actually make you like a moderator. Uh, give me like one second if I'm able to. All right. Sweet. I just made you like a moderator. So, you know, there you go. But yeah, um, I thought, I thought Caleb, you know, he did a good, decent job. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the best performance that I've seen out of him, but uh, he definitely did what he was supposed to do. And I think he will become a big player at the 175 pound division at the world title level. Um, yeah. I think this is a good performance. Uh, this really put his name out there, and he did what he had to do. Um, yeah. Um, um, anytime, Mike Biggs. Um, I appreciate you for uh, like you know for uh, coming by and supporting my channel. But um, yeah, back to the fight. Caitlin uh, Smith. You know he uh, he definitely displayed you know a lot more um, expansion and a skill set, and he definitely you know like you know brought the fight. A lot more aggressively against his opponent. Uh, the only one thing that I don't like out of Caleb is that he leaves his chin wide open whenever he's going blow for blow with somebody, and I think it's only because you know he thinks that he can knock everybody out, and I think that's going to cost him, um, especially at a world title level against like a guy like Dmitry Bivol or uh, you know Archer Beterbiev. Um, I think I think that's going to be like the biggest problem of his career when he starts getting hit by like heavy loaded shots that are coming back at him. So if he could work on his defense a bit more, um, he could start, you know, like, you know, doing more damage, you know, in the division. And I think, uh, Kate, Caleb Smith can very well become a champion again, but, uh, doing, doing that type of, you know, inside, you know, come forward, you know, you know, rock em, sock em, robots type of fighting, um, I don't. I don't think that's going to be successful against a guy like you know Archer Beterbiev or Dmitry Bivol. I mean, even up against Joe Smith Jr. Joe Joe Smith Jr. could very well capitalize on that. You know, he hits extremely hard and he gives a lot of difficult angles to the point where he could counter you and knock you out pretty bad. But I think I think uh, Caleb Smith, you know, at this point of his career. Um, he relies so heavily on getting a knockout so bad to the point where, you know, if he can't stop you, then, you know, he's just going to go blow for blow to the point where he could try to cruise to a decision. But uh, the last fight he's ever had a 12-round decision was against John Ryder, in which we all knew that John Ryder could have arguably beat him um, in that fight, but still. Caleb Smith is known for knocking people out. He's not he's not that much of a, you know, um, a good boxer per se. Uh, I think he relies heavily on his power, and that's what makes him, you know, a good fighter, to say the least, to create enough separation and a skill set to win. But either way, uh, I think this fight did put him in position to get to a title closer. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh Caleb Smith is going to be doing heading into the future and um you know I'll, I'll definitely be looking forward to seeing what he has to do to get up there but there's going to be some very good opponents you know lined up for him and I think he's definitely going to be in some very tough you know upcoming battles but yeah let's talk about the co-main event and then uh we're gonna um head over to Navarrete 
versus um, Eduardo Baez. Um, Philip Ergovich versus Zeli Zhang. Uh, this fight was a very, you know, nip and tuck fight. Um, I thought Zeli Zhang won the fight. I didn't think Ergovich did enough to win. Um, he did a good, decent job at the very later end portions of those rounds, but leading into the like you know the early game and middle game rounds, he got beat up real bad and. You know, from from him getting knocked down, from him getting hurt multiple times in that fight with uh, Zeli Zong, uh, it it pretty much showed to me that Zeli Zong, you know, he like you know he deserved to become the victor in that fight, and uh, you know he's a major player in the heavyweight division, in my honest opinion. Um, Ergovich, uh, I don't I don't think he's this you know boogeyman in the heavyweight division. I think Ergovich is a very limited fighter with very um you know undisciplined defense um i don't i don't see anything you know special out of him other than him just getting hit you know with the same shots over and over so with ergovich coming 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 into that type of fighting style at the high level um i think ergovich gets brutally stopped especially by you know by like a guy like you know like he could like you know he could potentially be any of what the top ten. So like I like like I do believe he could beat a guy like Michael Hunter. I think he could beat Kubrat Pulev, Derek Chisora, which I don't know why Boxer would list him as a top ten heavyweight because he like you know to to me personally he's not a top ten heavyweight. Derek Derek Chisora is literally the black version of Gabriel Rosado. You know, he's just there to lose, and he's just there to put on a good show for his fans and audience. But then again, it's like, you know, he didn't do anything good in his career. Yeah, you know, he fought almost everybody in the heavyweight division, but still it's just like like Derek Derek Chisora does not really deserve anything credible in the division. He just, like, you know, he just comes in to fight, and if he's able to be successful, that's just, like, you know, that's just what Derek Chisora does. But either way, I think I think uh, I think Ergovich he could beat him. Uh, I think Erko, like I think Ergovich might have a problem with a guy like Joseph Parker. I think Joseph Parker would give him a lot of trouble until Ergovich is, is able to hurt Parker and possibly stop him. Um, anybody below him or anybody above him, I think Mark I think Martin Bocoli could very well knock out. Uh, Philip Ergovich. I think Frank Sanchez would get knocked out by by um Philip uh, by Philip um Ergovich. Uh, Otto Wallen could 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 very well stop him or just basically outpoint him. I don't I don't think Wallen has like you know has like enough power in his punches to actually hurt Ergovich. So I don't I don't think that fight is going to be as you know be as um, easy as people try to make it out to be, but. Like, yeah, you know, there's just so many matchups that I could see being all wrong for Philip Ergovich. But uh, that performance that he had with Zeli Zong, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised with that. And uh, I don't think he's going to do good at the world title level. Hey, salute to you, Jose Diaz. Thank you for coming by. Um, I just made you like a moderator. So, you know, if you got it, just, you know, let me know. But, yeah, man, I didn't I didn't like that fight, man. I think Zeli Zong should have been the victor, the, the the victor in that fight, and uh, I don't I don't see Ergovich making it that far. 
but I'm pretty sure in his next fight is probably going to be for the IBF title or for him being, you know, like the mandatory possibly to Usyk. I think I think what's probably going to happen if, if Usyk, if he can't get Tyson Fury, um, he's he's probably going to end up facing um, Philip um, um, Ergovic. And if he doesn't want to fight Ergovic, then Ergovic is probably going to fight for the IBF, you know, title. So uh, that's going to be very interesting to see what Ergovic is going to do heading into his next fight. But yeah, let's move forward with the next fight card with Navarrete versus Baez. Yeah, um, 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 anytime, um, Jose Diaz, uh, I just figured that I give it to you and, uh, you know, just keep everybody that I know, you know, protected, you know, in the chat. But yeah, uh, let's move forward with the main event. Uh, I don't really have anything else to really say on the undercard. I didn't really like the undercard. Uh, I thought the undercard was very bad, <laughs> in my honest opinion. Uh, Nico Ali Walsh, he got his, like, you know, he got his get back against, uh, Reyes Sanchez, he knocked him out, you know, in the second round. But, you know, all the other fights, they're not worth, you know, talking like about. But, yeah, let's talk about Navarrete versus Eduardo Baez. Um, this fight, I thought Eduardo Baez was actually winning this fight. Um, I didn't really see Navarrete really win that many rounds. I thought Eduardo Baez, he did enough to win until he got knocked out and, uh, I think, uh, you know, the problem with the Baez twins, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Eduardo Baez, he does have a brother by the name of Leonardo Baez. And they are good fighters. Don't get it twisted. They can they could easily screw up your night of your favorite fighter getting beat by them. But I think the problem was is just that Eduardo, he's just like his brother. He doesn't have that much defense in his game. And... Uh, that's what kind of made this fight very uh, difficult for me to understand, like, why, you know, the Baez brothers don't really have proper training, you know, coming into their fights uh, by by making sure that they're more, you know, defensively, you know, responsible. Because if they definitely had more boxing ring IQ in their game, then I think, uh, you know, Eduardo Baez, he could have very well beat Navarrete pretty easily. Um, he's been a pro since 2013. He's a good fighter, but, you know, he's just not that type of fighter where he's defensively responsible. Um, he obviously had some good fights with some good, decent level opposition leading up to some, some heavy level opposition like Raiz Alim. And then he recently defeated Enrique Vivas, Jose Enrique Vivas. That was a Mexican dude that was supposed to fight, you know, Abraham Nova back in, um early january of the like you know of uh this year but um yeah i mean eduardo bias he's a good fighter um i like you know i i i just think that based off of what i see out of him and his brother they have a major defensive flaw of like getting hit with the same shots you know re um repetitively and uh i think i think you know that that definitely showed it you know in his performance against uh navarrete um, actually, uh, surprisingly, two of the judges actually had, um, you know, Eduardo Baez actually winning. Uh, one of the judges had a 40 to 47 and the other judge had a, a 50 to 45. So if Baez didn't get knocked out, um, he could have won that fight. So, I mean, I think, I think Baez, he just needs to work on his defense and he needs to work on his ring IQ. He, 
Um, um, he could definitely win a world title despite him not having, you know, a lot of power in the featherweight division. But he just needs to, like, work on making those quick adjustments and being defensively responsible because no matter how many rounds that you win, if you're not able to be defensively responsible and you get hit with, like, a very big heavy loaded shot to get yourself backed out, then that's where guys like Navarrete can easily win a fight you know, even if it is like a knockdown and leading to the 12th round to the very end, he could have very well lost that fight by a split decision. So I think defense really matters at a world title level, especially if you want to solidify yourself of, of taking the belt away from the champion. But I think I think the best ones, you know, they're good. Uh, um, I think I think Eduardo is like the better twin out of like, you know, um, out of what the two. And I like to see him back, you know, in the mix very soon. Um, I think he should probably go ahead and fight a guy like um, Joette Gonzalez, or maybe fight a guy like maybe Isaac Dogbay. Fight like you know, fight somebody just to get yourself back, back, you know, into the mix. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what you know Eduardo does leading into the future. Um, but yeah, Navarrete, he didn't look that good, man. I didn't, I didn't like what he did, and um, I. I like, I thought Navarrete looked like he's just not himself anymore. He kind of looks like the same person getting getting beat up, you know, you know, without the same punches over and over. And you know, I like like I don't I don't see Navarrete staying, you know, in boxing for that much longer. I think I think Navarrete when he gets met with like a big challenge, uh, even though that this is like his like what his his tenth title defense, you know, in a row. Um, I think I think once he gets met with like a tough challenge, like somebody like a Mauricio Lara or somebody at about the top ten that could easily knock him out, I think I think Navarrete will just end up like Miguel Burchell, and he's gonna get knocked out really bad. I don't I don't think he's that good of a fighter. I think Navarrete he's obviously staying at 126 for the for the reason of not taking the big fights, and he just wants to you know ride until the horses or basically right until the wheels fall off. Uh, that's basically what Navarrete is doing. Um, there was plenty of talks of him fighting Shakur Stevenson and all these other big names that he could have easily fought, but it doesn't seem like he wants to take on those challenges and he continues to fight his opposition that's put in front of him with a mandatory, you know, being like, you know, being you know, set for him, you know, every year, I guess. But, uh, yeah, Navarrete, he didn't look that good. You know, he's been out the ring since, like, what, uh, October of 2021. So he literally took 11 months off to basically not fight anybody. And leading up to him fighting Eduardo, he just gets beat up and he doesn't look any better. So, yeah, I don't I don't think Navarrete is that good anymore. I don't, I don't think he's going to uh, survive for that much longer. But it's going to, like, you know, it's going to show – leading into the future. Um, Jose Diaz says, true defense helps your offense also. He's getting up there in age. Yeah, um, I think, I think uh, you know, his age will definitely catch up to him once he hits like 30 and above. But, uh, I mean, he's still fresh in his prime. It's just that Navarrete, he's not, he's not keeping himself active with like, the high-level opposition. And for me, at least, it, like, you know, if you're a champion in, in boxing, you should always face the highest level opposition as much as possible. So your skill sets 
can always be sharp to the point where you can't look as bad as you do um, in your fights. Obviously, that's never always going to be the case because everybody will have like a bad night. But for you to just kind of like drift off in your own, like, you know, like, you know, mindset to think that nobody's not going to beat you and you want to find tailor-made opponents as you're uh, the champion fighting your mandatories that are more feasible to you. And then you're able to fight, you know, fight at a discount at which that like, you know, you're always going to be given your guaranteed purse of like a good, decent paycheck. But at the end of the day, if you're not fighting at the highest level opposition, that's going to bring you to the highest you know level of getting paid more. Then that's pretty much where I don't consider you as a real champion. Cause you're not testing yourself to the highest level of your, um, opposition in your division for your contemporaries, but um, I, I like I don't I don't think Navarrete is improving. I think he's regressing, and I think that's going to show like you know leading into the future. Jose Diaz said, "Does it does not stay in shape?" Yeah, uh, I I want to say that you're saying that like 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 as far as like staying active, you know, in the ring. I think I think that's probably like the biggest factor that you know like a guy like Navarrete has he doesn't like you know he doesn't keep himself active enough you know within the year I mean back in 2021 he was active like twice but then after that that was about it he didn't like you know he didn't really do much and then same thing in 2020 uh he only fought like three times but that was it I mean I think I think like you know leading up to now it's like Navarrete you know he's showing that you know he doesn't want to stay active and you know he's not hungry enough to like go after all the big names to to get the biggest amount of payment in boxing but uh i think i think navrete um he's going to get blown out very soon but it's only like a matter of time cuz you know he's just going to fight whoever's going to be put in front of him just to keep himself relevant you know as a champion but um, leading up, like, you know, leading up to that point, I don't, I don't see Navarrete doing much anyway. You know, he has plenty of opportunities to fight all the other champions in his division to, to, to become undisputed if he wants to, or he could fight Shakur Stevenson and make a good, you know, payday with him. But, it's, but it just seems like, you know, either he's afraid of not fighting these guys, or he's just going to make excuses to say, oh, well, the money's not right yet. You're gonna get the bigger bag if you do beat these guys, and that'll make you a lot bigger heading into the future. So, I think uh, Navarrete should take that opportunity, uh, like you know, until he reaches, you know, the end of his prime, and you know he doesn't look as good as he like, you know, he doesn't look as good as he once was. So, I say get these big fights in now. Uh, Jose Diaz says, I believe a fighter should fight twice a year. At least if I'm wrong, tell me if I was, yeah. Oh, um, um. At least if I'm wrong, tell me. I was a baseball player, remember? Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're boxing, you should at least stay active more than once a year. I think, I think, like a good maximum amount of fights for any average fighter, especially at a world title level or or trying to get up to become a contender, to become a like to become a mandatory challenger for a title. I think, I think you should stay at least active for at least like four times a year. I think, I think that would be like the best route for like any fighter to stay relevant in the conversation because 
if you're just fighting once or twice a year, that's not good for your for your skill set as a fighter because you're regressing in skill by not staying active enough. But then on top of that, that's not keeping you relevant in the in the round robin circle of you fighting your opposition. So if you're not staying active enough, then that's going to put you back further because all the other fighters are staying active and you're just trying to wait for that big opportunity for you to get your title shot. But that's just not how it works because obviously the politics of boxing are going to try to freeze you out. So it, it would be best for you to go back out there and stay active. So people know who you are and people can say, Hey, well, this guy, he, like, you know, he's been active throughout the entire year, but he should get his shot because look at what he's doing. He's fighting whoever is, you know, best available on the list to put himself in position to get a title. So, you know, I can I can understand that because it's a double-edged sword because guys like Jerron Ennis, he's in that same position. So it's like, would you rather wait or would you rather stay active? And I think, you know, the best option is is try to keep yourself active as much as possible. So you can stay relevant and like you know in the conversation. Uh Jose Diaz says, I believe a fighter should should fight. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um he already said that. Uh he said you're one hundred percent right. You're just getting older, losing your prime. Yeah, yeah, uh most definitely. And that's if, like you know, that's just how I feel about Navarrete right now. He's not he's not getting these big fights in now. He's just waiting on getting his mandatory and then he could just basically rest up and be like, all right, well, screw it. I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to be fighting, you know, for the rest of the year, you know, I'll just fight once a year. And then that's like, you know, that's it. And that's even similar to Gary Russell too, because Gary Russell, he, you know, he fought once a year or once or twice a year, but he wasn't, you know, eager to get back into the ring because nobody else doesn't want to fight him. Well, no, no. <laughs> People do want to fight him. It's just that Gary Russell, he's similar to Terrence Crawford where he doesn't let the business, you know, speak for himself. He kind of like allows the business to screw up and then he makes up excuses to say, oh, well, the fight didn't happen because this, this and that. Nah, dude, you should go ahead and fight these names because if you do beat him, you could beat him. Similar with the Devin Haney situation. He should have fought Devin Haney. He would have gotten a way bigger bag. And then if you beat Devin Haney, look at what like look at the timeline that that would have shifted in Gary Russell's Gary Russell's favor. If you beat a guy like Devin Haney during the during 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 that time of COVID, where he was gonna fight Gamboa for the title, and let's just say you beat him, you could have fought Tiafimo Lopez for undisputed, or you could have waited for undisputed to happen between Tiafimo and Cambosos, and then the winner of that fight could fight you. So I think I think Gary Russell, you know, he would have, yeah, Gary Gary Russell would have made a crap load of money if he went that route, but he decided not to do that. And look at where he's at right now. He decided to just, you know, keep himself there at 126 and just think like, okay, well, a mandatory is just going to keep giving me good fights. And it's like, no, dude, like just staying active once or twice a year is not going to give you the most amount of money. So. And I and I don't like you know I don't think Navarrete is making that much money either. I mean it's saying like you know over here on Tapeology.com that he's only making like five hundred and fifty thousand dollars per fight. So I want to say at, at least he's probably making at least close upwards to I probably say at, at least like a million or one point five million dollars. But you know that's about it. I don't I don't think Navarrete is making that much money. 
to begin with, but he could easily max out his earnings if he wants to fight, you know, the top level opposition. And I think he could do that if he really wanted to, but I don't see that happening. But moving forward with the next and final card, uh, we have uh, Omar Figueroa versus uh, Sergey Limpinets. Before I get to that, I'm going to talk about the very first out of, well, I'm going to talk about the last three fights leading up to the main event. And then after that, I'm just going to wrap it up. Um, also, uh, let me give a quick little shout out to uh, Atifo Barrelton. He looked amazing in the pre- in, um, in the preliminaries. He fought a very tough guy by the name of Robert Burwell. Um, he's a nine and seven fighter now. He's out of Orlando, Florida, 32 years old. Uh, he just recently got knocked out by Calvin Henderson in the second round. That was by that was back in October 30th of 2021. Uh, not a bad fighter, but he definitely gave Ativo Barrelton a very difficult fight. And I thought this was like the perfect fight that Ativo needed. Um, he just recently turned 24 years old back in July, so now he's 6-0. and uh, I believe he has five knockouts, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, um, Ativo Barrelton, he's a beast. I think, um, you know, with him coming back into the mix now, uh, he needs to keep himself more active, and uh, I think I think he'll start being like you know start being recognized more at the light heavyweight division. Um, I think I think Atifo Brailton, he has skills. Um, he needs to work a little bit more on you know keeping himself calm and collected when he's starting to use his jab, and just become a lot more um, you know uh, become a lot more aggressive by working on the body more. And I think he can easily put himself in a like you know um, um, in a better position to win. And actually, surprisingly, um, he has another fight lined up in October. So he's going to be fighting up against this guy by the name of Christian Lewis Thomas. Um, he's out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, he just recently had a fight. Well, well, um, he hasn't been active since January of of, of 2021, but. You know, he had a second round, you know, uh, like, you know, TKO victory over Fernando Tamayo Alvarez. Uh, that was a decent fight. But either way, uh, Christian Thomas, uh, this should be a good, decent little test for Atif, you know, Oberlton. And I think Atif, he's only doing this because, you know, he has to move extremely fast now. So, you know, I, I like, I'll probably, I'll probably say within like a year or two, you know, we're probably going to see his record skyrocket up by like 10 or 15 matches. So I think, I think Atif, he's going to, you know, he's going to probably skyrocket his record pretty fast. And I like how he fights. He has a very, very good trainer. Uh, I forgot what his trainer is. Um, I think, I think she's a female trainer, but um, he has a pretty good team out of Philadelphia. Um, He trains with Gerard Ennis. I know that, but he definitely has a pretty good stable of his own down in Philadelphia. And uh, he's a very tall, lanky, awkward southpaw. He's six foot three with a 73 inch arm reach, 24 years old. Uh, he's uh, promoted by Marshall Kaufman. Um, I don't like, I don't even know who Marshall Kaufman is, but if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he's connected with Cameron Duncan, who also manages Jerron Ennis in his career, but. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Atifo Barrelton is going to do at the light heavyweight division. He's ranked 68 in the world in the light heavyweight division. 
Um, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of good names here. And I would like to see him face a guy like Khalil Cole or that African dude that I personally know, um, Aradijay Obaro. I think I think him and Aradijay would make a very good fight. Um, I think he should go ahead and maybe fight a guy like Steve Gefred, who got knocked out by Joe Smith Jr. I think I think he could easily defeat him. Um, there's a lot of good names on here that I like to see him in there with. Um, I think I think him and Bektimir, um, 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 him and Bektimir, um, um, Melikusiev, that would be a very very good fight. Uh, I think I think him and Bek the Bully would make a very dest- a destructive battle. Uh, same thing with Umar Salamov. Um, just just a whole bunch of names on here. Oh, Hakim Lopez, uh, the brother of Naji Lopez. That's going to be a very very good destructive fight in the future. Um, Uneski Gonzalez, I like to see that fight. You know, that would be like a good little skill building fight. Joseph Ward, he can, you know, he can easily defeat Joseph Ward. Um, I think Joseph Ward would definitely give him a tough battle, but I think, I think, um, yeah, I think Atif could definitely beat a guy like him. Um, he's a good fighter. Uh, Jose Diaz said, yes, um, activity is a key, yes. And he also said, it is in the gym with boots. He's learning the correct way. Yeah, I like. I'm not. I'm not too sure if uh, if Atif is like actually like, you know, training with them consistently. But I've heard some things that, like you know, he is there in Philadelphia by you know Jerron Ennis's camp. So I'm pretty sure him and Jerron Ennis they do train from time to time. And I'm pretty sure people that do know him and Boots, you know, you know, you know, uh, like like you know, heavily through personal connection. I'm pretty sure Jerron Ennis, he has his eyes set with uh, Atifo Brailton to, you know, to hit him up for sparring or or to just get better in the gym. So I'm I'm pretty sure Boots and Atifo Brailton, they probably know each other pretty well. And uh, I won't be surprised if Boots and Atifo Brailton, you know, they probably, you know, train together for training camps. So I think, I think that's probably a, a core benefit of like what Philadelphia fighters do from time to time to to keep you know increasing their skill level a lot more but um i wouldn't be surprised if boots and atifo Barrelton are, are like training buddies because they because um like uh, most philadelphia fighters do know each other pretty well out of that area but um yeah um definitely check out atifo Barrelton. he's a very good fighter uh, I'd like to see him in there with all the big names. I think I think at this point of his career, uh, just give him skill building fights. Just give him veteran level, you know, opposition. And I think within like maybe like six to ten fights by now, um, he'll be you know he'll be ready for you know for like a world title pretty soon. But I don't I don't want to say like you know rush him fast. You know he has like plenty of time. Uh, you know I think I think like by maybe like a year or two. If not three years, uh, I think I think Atifo Brailton will be right on track, and then we'll start to see him in those big fights very soon. But I definitely like his style. He's a very destructive southpaw. He has a lot of power. He has great ring IQ, and he has great boxing knowledge. You know, in and out the ring. So definitely give that man a check out, and he's a very good fighter. Uh, let's talk about the other fights, and then I'll get up out of here. Uh, let's talk about. Brandon Lee versus William Madera. Um, I was very shocked 
well, I wasn't very shocked, but I was very surprised that William Madera, he actually knocked down Brandon Lee in the third round. Uh, this was a pretty decent fight. I wasn't really expecting Brandon Lee to really have that much adversity, but I was kind of shocked that, you know, Madera actually dropped him in this fight. Um, William Madera, he's actually from my area out here in Albany. Uh, I don't know anything, like, don't know anything, like, about him, but... I do know he's out of here, out of Albany, but I like I personally haven't seen him in person, but I'm pretty sure he's a cool guy. Um, uh, that was a pretty good, decent performance by him. He could have done a lot better, but I think it was due to that ring activity that that really put him down. Uh, he wasn't really supposed to like really have that bad of a performance, but knowing that him and Brandon they were supposed to fight back on August 6th on the Jake Paul undercard. Um, I think I think that was pretty much the biggest takeaway from it, but I think it was just due to the ring activity. I think um, you know Madeira, you know he's a good decent fighter. He's not like the best fighter out there, but you know for him not staying active enough in his career, uh, I think that played a huge role uh, like between him and Brandon. So I think I think this is a pretty good learning lesson for him to like work on what he needs to work on and then eventually we'll probably see him end there with some like you know with some bigger names but uh Brand Brandon Lee did did not look that good uh he definitely got hurt multiple times in that fight but leading to that knockdown uh I kind of just saw it coming that Brandon was going to get knocked down with like a huge punch and uh yeah by the third round uh Madeira you know he could have arguably knocked him out in that fight uh, I didn't really think Brandon had that much left to really like sustain in the third round. So I think Madeira, if he was more educated with knowing how to stop a guy like Brandon Lee, uh, I think I think he could have won that fight. So uh, huge big shout out to Brand to Brandon Lee for coming back in that fight and getting the victory. But also shout out to William Madeira because uh, uh, Madeira he's a good fighter. He just needs to work on a couple things in his game. And I think eventually he'll be back on the winning column. But let's move forward to the second to last three fights on this list. Hector Garcia versus Roger Gutierrez. This fight was an absolute banger. Uh, shout out to Hector Garcia. He's a very good fighter. I respect him a lot more for him coming into this fight as a major um, underdog, per se. Uh, I'm pretty sure people favored him, you know, somewhat, but... Either way, uh, Hector Garcia, he's a very good fighter. He had a great fight with Roger Gutierrez. Gutierrez, I love Gutierrez's fighting style. He, uh, he definitely knows how to throw heavy, heavy loaded shots. But the biggest problem with Gutierrez is that he does not u- utilize his defense and he needs to utilize his jab a lot more. Uh, that was the biggest problem out of this fight. Um, Gutierrez was not letting his hands go. And he was allowing Hector to hit him with some really, really good shots. But Hector, he's not that much of a power power puncher. He doesn't really possess that much power. Um, I don't think so. I think Hector is just more of a boxer. Uh, boxer volume puncher at best. He can land some good heavy shots here and there. But, you know, once you start hurting Hector, I think that's where Hector starts falling apart a lot more. So I don't think Hector is going to be like the greatest fighter out of the 130 pound division but knowing that he is now a champion i think there's going to be a lot more bigger fights on the table and i think a good fight 
for the future for Hector Garcia is uh, definitely a fight between him and um, hmm. I was going to say Navarrete because I want to see Emmanuel Navarrete fight a guy like him because I think that would make a good fight. But I think um, Hector Garcia, looking at this list on BoxRec, I like to see him in there with a guy like um, probably Oshaki Foster. I think Oshaki Foster would be a very good, very good, difficult, stylistic matchup. And I think um, Oshaki Foster can hurt Hector Garcia a couple times, and that'll be a good, you know, destructive battle. Um, I also want to mind a fight between him and Lamont Roach. Uh, I think Roach would give him some very difficult, you know, you know, uh, difficult, you know, puzzles to figure out in that fight. But I think uh, Hector has a good chance of beating him. Um, and I think like the last fight on this list, um, maybe a fight with, uh, I don't know, maybe Andres Cortez. I think that would be a good fight. Or Claudio Moreo. That would be a very good fight. So I don't know. Uh, uh, that's going to be a very interesting matchup to see somewhere down, somewhere down the line. But, yeah, congratulations to Hector Garcia. He definitely balled out in that fight last night and uh i like to see roger back i think roger's going to be a major player and it's going to be interesting to see what he does but let me skim right through to the co-main event and main event alberto puela versus bacteria made i didn't really think puela won this fight i thought puela lost i thought i could have did enough to win but puela he really came into this fight really thinking that the judges were going to give it to him so i like that uh thought Puelo fought really bad in this fight, and he looked horrible. Uh, I thought Akhmedov did enough to, to defeat him and break him down and make him break in the later rounds. And I think Puelo, he showed a lot of flaws in this fight where he should have lost. And uh, I think, you know, if like you know if he was in there with like a heavy-loaded puncher uh, better than Akhmedov, I think Puelo would have got stopped really bad. Hey, salute to you, Combat Toolbag. Thank you for coming by. Um, I will give you the wrench right now. Here you go. There you go, my good brother. Uh, thank you for coming by, man. I appreciate you, big bro. Uh, hope to see you in your next fight. Keep me updated, man. But um, salute to Combat Toolbag. Everybody go follow Combat Toolbag. Please please go support him. And shout out to Kinda Local Sports as well. Um, I hope Combat Toolbag, he returns and he gets a knockout victory and he starts whipping on everybody in his uh, division. So please go, please please go um, support um, Combat Toolbag. But yeah, I um, I appreciate you for coming by Combat Toolbag. Um, I I hope everything's doing well for you. And um, I um, um, if you ever need anything, you know, let me know. I'll you know I'll try my best to to try to help out. But yeah, salute to Combat Toolbag. Um, he's a very good up and coming fighter, and he's gonna be making some big noises coming very soon. But, yeah, let's talk about the main event, and I'll get up out of here. Um, Sergey Limpinets versus Omar Figueroa Jr. Uh, this was a very, very bad fight. <laughs> uh, Omar Figueroa, he got his butt whooped really, really bad. <laughs> um, Sergey Limpinets was an absolute monster. Uh, this is, like, very new that I saw Limpinets come out here and just beat the living brakes out of him. But great performance. Uh, I was very, very happy that Limpinets got the victory. 
because for those of you that don't know, he got knocked out pretty bad by Jerome Boots Ennis back in April. Well, well, yeah, April, April 10th. Yeah, April 10th uh, of that 2021. So that was not a good performance by Limpinets. He tried his best in that fight. But uh, leading up until now with Omar Figueroa, uh, that was very, very shocking that he took this fight on five days' notice and he just basically broke him down like a piano and just basically took his life away. So congratulations to Sergey Limpinets. I think Limpinets has a lot left in the tank and uh, he's only getting better. He's only 33 years old and he's just blowing right through a guy like uh, Omar Figueroa like that. That's insane. So great fight, great performance, great, great victory for, um, for Sergey Lipinets. And uh, I, I believe he had officially retired Omar Figueroa in the process as well. So no more, no more Omar Figueroa. <laughs> that was an absolute destruction. And uh, man, what a great fight, man. That, uh, that fight definitely made me laugh a lot. Uh, Omar Figueroa, he is not the same fighter as he once was. Uh, he has horrible defense. Um, he does not make any proper adjustments to make himself better in a fight. And uh, I just find it very weird that his father just, just didn't stop the fight a lot sooner because he really thought he had a chance of actually beating Limpinets, but knowing that Figueroa, he, he did not make any proper adjustments to win the fight. Just shows that um, he just didn't come come to actually win. He he really thought he was going to have uh, the judges in his pockets, or he was just going to have like a better outing of just like just getting the victory, just cruising right through a decision. But uh, congratulations to Limpinets. He dropped Omar Figueroa. Figueroa, he got hurt multiple times in this fight. Um, I think I think that loss to Yerdenis Ugas really broke him uh, psychologically. And then leading into a fight with Abel Ramos two years later, knowing that he had no, like, tune-up fight, he just wanted to just get back in there and fight a dangerous fight with Abel Ramos, in which he got stopped for the first time um, in his career. And then coming back, a, like, literally coming back a year later, just to get beat up on by Sergey Limpinets, ugh, that is just terrible. So <laughs> Omar Figueroa kind of just put himself down down through the drain. Um, I was not surprised. Uh, he didn't look like he was like actually actually very smart coming into that fight. But yeah, man, I did not I did not like that out of him. And I'm definitely putting the blame on his father because his father definitely is not a good trainer for him to like let his son come back into boxing when he's not 100% there. And then he tries to use his mental health stuff to say, Oh, well, I was psychologically broken from this, this, and that. Okay, fine. Then why the hell are you coming back into the ring and fighting? You should, you should know as a fighter yourself, if you're not 100% there, why are you coming back in? Like, why are you coming back into the ring? If you know, you're not going to be 100% mentally there as much as omar tried to like trash on eight like you know adrian broner saying that he saying that he has um he has mental health and all this stuff and you know he needs proof of you know some form of documentation of him seeking professional help i don't i don't i don't see that to be the case i think i think honestly like 
I think, like, you know, between this opponent that he had with Sergey Limpinets and Adrian Broner, the fight was just going to end up being the same thing because Omar Figueroa sounded like leading up to the buildup of, of this fight between him and Broner that he wasn't 100% there. But then with AB, AB, he wasn't 100% himself too. So it's like, either way, like, this is pretty much like a recipe for disaster to the point where Omar Figueroa, he did not have his mind straightened out. And I felt like Omar Figueroa, like, to me personally, like, like just based off of what he was talking about leading up to the buildup of the fight in general, he sounded like he wasn't psychologically himself anymore. He kind of felt like he was, like, on, like, I don't know. He kind of felt like he had, like, suicidal thoughts of, of some sort. And at one point he said, I believe in the past in some press conference that I heard, uh, I think it was like a Showtime press conference. He he literally said that he had some suicidal thoughts at one point in time. But I don't I don't understand why you're coming back like coming back into boxing. It's like if you know you're not 100% stable, then don't come back to the sport. Like you know this isn't your sport anymore. And to me at least from a fan's perspective, like I don't I don't want to see you back. I don't want to see you get beat up and then you have to you know go back to your family all damaged. Nah, dude. It's like. You know, if you're not good anymore psychologically, then you're not good anymore. It's just like, you know, I think I think it was just due to the fact that he was so enamored with winning so much, like you know, in the sport that once he finally lost, it was like, oh, man, I have to, like, go super insane now that I lost because he thought he was going to be, like, the greatest fighter out there. But then once a guy like Ugas and Limpinets and Abel Ramos defeated you, you're just not the same person anymore. And it's just like, that's just very sad because it's like, you really let that bother you when there's plenty of other people in the world that have to go through worse of that level. So I don't know, man. Uh, Omar Figueroa, keep yourself away from boxing. Uh, Great career, former lightweight WBC world champion. (laughs) But yeah, Sergey Limbanez just destroyed him. Uh, what a great performance by Sergey Limpinets. And Limpinets, he could, he could easily, yo, don't don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if Mr. Gary Antoine Russell be calling up Sergey Limpinets because I guarantee you Limpinets is going to probably end up facing Gary Antoine Russell. He is probably going to end up facing Gary Antoine Russell in his next fight. But that's just my early prediction on that. I think Gary Antoine Russell, he should probably run it back with Rancis Bartholomew. But don't be surprised if Limpinets goes after a guy like Gary Antoine Russell. Because if that fight happens next, oh boy, I am tuning in on that fight. That's going to be one of the greatest fights ever. And I cannot wait till Limpinets comes back into the mix at 140 because there's so much smoke for Limpinets at 140. Like Limpinets has so many names he could go after. And I can I could easily see him in there with like a guy like Jose Zapata. Um who else? Uh Jose Ramirez, Regis Progre, uh Subriel Matias, most definitely, but I think Matias he's just gonna go, you know, go through his IBF route. And I think he's gonna end up facing Limpinets sometime in the future. But it's probably not going to be right now. I think him and Gary Antoine Russell, that's going to be the fight to make very, very soon. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I think, I think Limbinets has a very, very good 
ceiling right now. Now that he stopped, uh, you know, Omar, um, Omar Figueroa. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I don't really have that much else to really say. Um, shout out to Sergey Limpinets. Uh, he is ranked currently 13 on BoxRec. Um, under Montana Love, Subria Matias, Arna Barbosa, surprisingly Ryan Garcia and Tiafima Lopez. Oh my God, nah, man, scratch that. I want to, I want to see, I want to see Limpinets beat up on Ryan Garcia or Tiafima. <laughs> man, that's just funny, man. That's so funny. But yeah, um, thank you guys for watching. Shout out to everybody in the chat. Shout out to Mister Combat Toolbag. Please go support his career. And boxing, very good up and coming fighter. Salute to Jose Diaz for coming through. Uh, everybody, um, everybody, go support these guys. Support anybody that's on here that that makes content daily. Oh, also shout out to Mike Biggs. He's a very good YouTuber himself. I um, I appreciate all you guys for coming through. Um, I'm just happy that you know I I got this channel back up, and you know I unfortunately had my other channel censored by YouTube on some stupid shit that didn't make any sense in the first place but hey man i'm gonna i'm gonna bring myself back up to the top man because guess what if i do get up there and i'm like balling out yo i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna be doing everything right so you know i don't i don't use this as like my career i got I got other stuff that i focus on but um i do like coming on coming out here and you know just talking sports and playing games so you know uh i um i appreciate all you guys for coming through thank you guys for coming through salute to you guys once again uh salute to you combat um yes i will get my subs back and uh i'm definitely gonna keep my channel grinding and uh just wait you know i uh, I, I can't wait for the future so i appreciate you guys shout out to the mighty mighty ldbc shout out to the twt and shout out to everybody that came through in the chat and shout out to all the family i'll see you guys later have a great day peace out Bye.